The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights the guests I bring you each and every week to the show, and this week is no exception because we've got the return of the amazing Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., part of the Ruiz family. His dad is Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements. Don Miguel Jr. is just an amazing teacher. He is a Nagual. A Nagual is a human being who apparently has the power to shapeshift into their tonal animal counterpart. And it's tied to the belief that one can access their power and spiritual insight by connecting with their spirit animal within, if you will. And he's also a Toltec, which means artist. And he's basically, he's a teacher and he helps people. He's helping humanity. And what we're going to talk about today is his book called The Mastery of Life, A Toltec Guide to Personal Freedoms. And it's all about becoming free from fear and creating and then living your best life. So what could be more important than that? Than that? So we've got the amazing Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., and he's very, very thorough. He's very, very articulate, and he's just a very interesting guy, and he's here to serve humanity, and he's just amazing. So you can tell I really like him a lot, and I really respect the work he's doing. So I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation, and I, I think you're going to learn a lot, as I did, from Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., so what else is happening out there? Well, we've got springtime here, finally, in Southern California. It's, it's springtime, and in New York City, it's springtime, and uh, things change then. It's a little bit different, but I've noticed since I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast that there actually are four kind of like mini-seasons out here in Southern California where you have four big seasons in the Northeast and also like in the Midwest where it's tough, cold, long winters. Then you have a spring, and followed by a hot, hot summer, and then beautiful fall weather. And you get some of that here in Southern California also. It's a little bit different. It doesn't get super cold. We don't get the snow here. We don't get that much rain. But the temperatures do change, and you just have your feeling the vibe is a little bit different when each of the four seasons begins to show itself. And I'm really enjoying it out here because I don't miss those long, cold winters in New York City. I've been through 30 of them when I lived in Manhattan, and wow, the snow is beautiful where, when it falls in New York, but after a couple of days, when it turns into that slush and you got to step off the curb uh, across the, the street, it is brutal. And also when you go down into the subway and it's all wet down there and dank and cold, yick. But New York, there's no place like it. It is the city. But at this point in my life, for me at least, Southern California and the beautiful weather and more chill lifestyle fits in with what we're doing here in guys, guys world. And I've learned a lot since I've been out here and change is good. It's good to make a change and it's good to live in different areas and it's good to see 
the differences in people in different areas and also see the similarities because when you boil it all down, people are people and that's a big deal, believe it or not, because uh, we're such into a tribal mentality in this country now where you're either red or you're blue and you're this or you're that. There's no in-between. There's no acceptance of the fact that not everything one side does is right and not everything the other side does is wrong. And bottom line is we're all people and we've got to find common ground. So we're going to talk about fear, transformation, and living your best life today with my very special guest, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. So let's get to it right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, the interview portion of our show. You can watch it on YouTube or you can listen to it on KCAA or the podcast. So today we're going to talk about the most important journey you take. It's the one with yourself. Don Miguel Ruiz is a Nagual, a Toltec master of transformation. He's a direct descendant of the Toltecs of the Eagle Knight lineage and the son of Don Miguel Ruiz of the Four Agreements. As a Nagual, Miguel Jr. lives to pass along the wisdom and the tools of his family's traditions with his dad and brother. Don Miguel Jr. reads, leads workshops, retreats, and power journeys, helping others achieve their personal freedom physical and spiritual health. He hosts a weekly internet radio show, The Way of the Desert, and his website is miguelruizjr.com. We're going to discuss his new book, The Mastery of Life, A Toltec Guide to Personal Freedom, which is about how to transform your life so you can accept yourself as you are, release self-destructive patterns, and live without fear. It's practical wisdom to live your everyday life and feel free to live the life you want because you are perfect right now in the present moment. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me back, Robert. It's a pleasure. Thank you. My, my, it's my pleasure and our pleasure. So it's loud and clear that our biggest problem in life is fear. All mm -hmm. other negative reactions, anger, jealousy, regret, hate, uh, et cetera, all trace back to fear. So why don't we start there? Because that seems to be the foundation of your book. Sure. Well, you can say... To go beyond fear is to come to peace with fear, or you can say respect fear once again. For that, we have to be able to distinguish what fear is in our life. And sometimes it's easier to understand fear as a function rather than a concept. The function of fear is to keep you safe. That's it. That's what fear is. It's, it's the system that our body has that protects itself with fight, flight, or, or, or flee. You know, freeze, fight or flee. There you go. And that manifests, those three manifest themselves in many ways. So real danger is, you know, someone with a gun or a, a rattlesnake or, you know, a, a life choice. It, and your body will feel, feel that fear. You know, we'll, we'll fight, we will flee, or we will freeze. You know, with fight, you know, so if it's real danger, our body will secrete this hormone that allows us to not feel pain so that allows us to get through that moment because all this uh, adrenaline running through our veins at that moment allows us to feel almost a little bit mightier, a little bit stronger, you know, and rage, anger, that's kind of fear. Freezing is kind of like the, the deer in headlights effect. And it's basically just at that moment, you, you're paralyzed with fear. You have a rattlesnake there or someone with a gun and you're like petrified and your body just gets to that point in order to pass this moment. Or you flee, you run. 
It'll be, you're probably going to run the fastest you've ever run in your life because all of a sudden your whole body is in that desire to live and it does everything it can. That's real fear. But, our, but the thing about our mind is that we are able to create something that may seem real, but it isn't, you know, false evidence appearing real. The analogy I usually have for that is that imagine go to a movie theater. It's just the screen with a good sound system and comfy chairs sometimes. And they project a movie onto the screen and imagine it being the movie that you first saw that brought fear. You know, for me, it was Poltergeist or The, or the um, Exorcist. The last movie that made me feel fear was the Blair Witch Project because it was brand new. I've, I've seen it since then and it hasn't been as scary, but the first time I saw it, I had a, a good fear for a good week. It, it lasted in my system for that long. Well, here's the thing. It's just light being projected with a good sound system that if you completely engage yourself in the movie, you can't tell the difference, but you will respond with fear. The fight mode is when you scream. If you're in a movie and also you, you, have a, you have a scary part that scared you, you will scream. And that's just a fight a mechanism. It's, it's something what we do. It's kind of almost, almost primeval, you know, that we do. Freeze is when we just go, <gasps> and we, we can't close our mouth because we're just in such a shock. Or the uh, flea is when you close your eyes, put your fingers in your ears, and you go, meh, 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 and trying to escape it. We respond to that. But here's the thing. It's not real. Now, here's the thing. I say that again, but there. the mind is more powerful than any movie projector there is. My, my mind can create all these possibilities, answer all the what-ifs with the worst-case scenario, and you believe that it's real. And we will respond with fight, freeze, or flee, that, that, or even finish. When that happens, we're not, it's not something that life is presenting us, a real danger. We're not in real threat. But we will, our mind will reinforce all the what-ifs with that projected assumption that makes us think that we're in danger, but we're not. And that is when fear really cripples because if a movie can leave me feeling fear for a week, Imagine something that my mind believes and that fear will impact me for years, for as long as I have that belief. At that moment, that fear will be curtailing my choices, freezing me because the most dangerous thing about uh, freezing is that you no longer trust yourself to make a choice. You're afraid to say yes or say no to something and you're stuck there. You, you don't, you can't, you're paralyzed in life because you're afraid to fail. You're afraid of the worst what if, or, or you can say you're constantly in, in fighting mode. You're, you're constantly fighting people in your life and you're, con you're co in constant conflict and constant war with people. You're there arguing with people on Facebook or social media and you're constantly in battle mode. Or you're flee in the sense that you're constantly avoiding situations. You're uh, avoiding facing a hurdle, avoiding the situation and 
you do everything you can to escape. And when that, when that happens in life, it could really be impactful. Now, here's the thing. There are, there are things in life, for example, having anxiety disorder, that the body produces too much of a certain hormone or there's a, a deficit in the body that impacts the mind and it goes into anxiety. But then there's a lot of uh, beliefs that we have that feed our anxiety, you know, that I'm not good enough, that I am not worthy of love, that I have to live up to an expectation in order to be somebody in the world. And that comes from domestication or conditioning. When fear comes from that particular source, it could have ripple effects all throughout our life. And the consequence of that is rejecting ourselves, pretending to be something we're not for the sake of someone else's point of view, or simply put, I'm just simply afraid to make a choice and I will let my beliefs and conditioning to choose for me because I don't trust myself. So you can say that's the root work that we do. You know, we live in a world where if we take all of this fear away, we're connected to the divine because we're creatures of the the creations of the divine and therefore everything's possible. And that's where we really live. But there's an overlay of fear. So why? And you can see it with whether it's the pandemic or there's, you know, financial issues in the country now and oil and Ukraine, and there's a lot of fear. People have a lot of anxiety. Why is fear so prevalent in our lives? And why does it play a, such a huge role? And what do we need to know about fear programming? Well, you can say that it's both. You know, we have a real threat in life. And at the same time, some of it has just been manipulated or created. And we're seeing it all throughout life. For example, with the pandemic, you know, I myself lost five uncles to this disease, a cousin and a classmate of mine. So seven people within my circle of friends and family that I love passed away. From that point of view, there is a real fear in the sense that there is something actually threatening us. So there's the response we have to that. But then you have a, the, the, op, the opposite side of that coin in the sense that a lot of people create a lot of assumptions and a lot of stories that is already there in their projected belief system and ideas that we begin to have that fear in either way for the disease and against the disease or our own belief. You know, that we, we live in a world where that is, where an event happens where we can tell a thousand stories from that event and all thousand stories are true to the point of view of the individual, through the perception. So from that point of view is that in life we have natural recourse courses that happen, an earthquake, a hurricane, um, that kind of tragedy. Then you have what my father would call stupidity, which is man-made. You know, it's, it's, it's our belief versus beliefs, and we create our own, uh, our own tragedy because we believe the lie. And when that happens... It's, uh, it's fear that is created by that. For example, you have Ukraine, but I'm going to use a, a much more localized. In Mexico, a soccer match over the weekend, one group of fans injured in a, in a huge melee the visiting fans of the opposite team you know, in Querétaro. And if you ever see the videos of what happened there, they're, they're fighting 
over a soccer jersey. There you can see how men are beating other people. You can see them even hitting women and children. You know, that there's, there's, a, there's a kid that had to take off his shirt because like, he, he was in danger. You know, be, they were beating anyone who was wearing the black and red. The, the blue and white were beating them, you know, in mass. And it, you can see that happening. What's happening in Ukraine is political. And I don't know all of what happened there. But in the example of the story that happens, that happened in Mexico over the weekend, they're fighting each other over a shirt, the shield of a soccer. I wrote a book called The Five Levels of Attachment, and I talk a, lot, a little bit about what happened, you know, about attachments using soccer. And unfortunately, it's a story that it repeats itself over and over again. I use that example because you can see how absurd it is that we create a dangerous situation where people really are, there really is fear in front of you because you have someone in front of you that's about to hurt you. But the reason why they're about to hurt you is based on a lie, or you can say an illusion, which is my jersey is more important than my life. Therefore, it's more important than yours. And who I'm hitting is not a human being. I'm hitting the personification of an idea that I don't agree with. With that in mind, we see all around the world, unfortunately, when we deal with each other mind to mind, a lot of the conflicts we have is because we have conflicting points of view that are based either in interest or fear. What is to be a man? What is to be a woman? You know, in, in Mexico, there's a lot of femicide happening. Even today is the uh, is the day of the International Day of the Woman, uh, as we're recording this. And I know a lot of my friends in Mexico who are women are going, "Yeah, thank you so much for congratulating us, but what about all the women who were killed just for being women in in this country?" And unfortunately, it's not just Mexico, but there's a, quite a few other countries where that happens as well. So at that point, that fear is, uh, is, the is the cause and effect of people's actions. You know, we respond with fight, we respond with flee, we respond with, with uh, freezing. But the fight one is very dangerous because it creates that wave of, of, of danger. You know? And we respond to that because at that moment, the recipient of that anger is in real danger. And that creates trauma, and it wants it wants payback, and there goes the cycle. So you know, right now it's like in Mexico, if the example of the of the what happened in Querétaro, they're worried about the return match because now the other fans are going to try to get revenge. So it's one of those situations where he started it first type of mentality is uh, sometimes people think that is enough of an excuse to no longer see someone else as a human being, which is the whole blindness, you know, like you, you freeze, you blind yourself. So when we deal with mind to mind, and that's what, what it is about humanity, we deal with mind to mind. When we, will, when we see the world through scarcity, we will always be in conflict. We will always be at war. 
if we are able to shift and see the world through the point of view of abundance, there's nothing to fight for, just trade and, and create. You can say civilization flourishes. And we're seeing that world. You know, you can say that, you know, if, if what we're seeing is the biblical in the sense that at one point, when we went from being nomadic to farm base, it created a, a shift in how human, humanity relates to itself. Now we have to have possessions in order to create, and we're afraid to lose what we, ha we have. So I'm going to defend myself against people who are grazing in the lands that I created. So from that point of view, it, that's from biblical times or ancient times that we just watch what we're living is just the consequences of those cycles. But in our lives, in our what we're able to control, the ability to stop the cycle that comes from this comes within us. You know, is it really that I'm in danger? Am I really about to attack someone simply because I have a different belief than you? Or a different point of view. And at that moment is, you know, we start with ourselves with a man in the mirror, as the song would go. I, it starts with myself. And knowing yourself, you can say it's the beginning of the end of the war, but it comes with the willingness that I give myself permission to heal. I give myself permission to heal. I forgive myself for being addicted to fear because sometimes we are addicted to that adrenaline that the body has. We become addicted to what we know we're addicted or we just simply are comfortable with the pain with that we're used to. It's what we know. So sometimes it requires a willingness to see myself in order to break the cycle that has caused so much harm in my life. Okay, wow, what an answer, fantastic. Thank you, and uh, uh, Miguel Jr. Ruiz Jr. is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. He's a fantastic spiritual teacher and storyteller. I just love listening to you. Thank you, sir. In your book, the book is called The Mastery of Life. The Toltec Warrior's understanding is that our perception creates our reality. And Toltec means artist. We create our lives. Yeah. That is our art. That's why we're born. Not to follow yeah. orders. Our dream versus the planet's dream. How can people then live their lives the best way? Recognize the divinity in themselves, see all things in the divinity, see that divinity is love, and then everything is love. So if, in other words, if, if you start to begin to see people, every person as divinity, every animal, every tree, every object as divinity, that means everything is love because divinity is love. How can people start mm -hmm. to do that? Well, seeing it within ourselves is like, you can say it's not about breaking rules or not following rules. It's recognizing that we're making agreements. We live in a society where agreements exist. I was watching a movie or a show, and I realized what was scary about it. It's called The Walking Dead. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that show, but sure, sure. I, was, I was watching that show, and I realized what the movie... What the fear is, is not the zombies. The zombies are not what actually make that show scary. What makes it scary is that the humans that are not zombies live in a world where the rules that normally protect you don't exist. You know, for example, let's imagine you're in a house where you have windows 
and there's no bars, just glass. And that glass makes you feel safe. It makes you feel secure. If you live in a neighborhood where you have to add bars, probably the real estate pr price of that uh, that area is, is a little less than where the, the windows that don't have bars is at. But nonetheless, there are so many places, so many structures where a glass window makes you feel like you are safe. There is a strong taboo that is keeping you safe. You know, because sometimes people who break in prefer to break down a door than a window. Not all the time, obviously, but there's enough time where it's it's to break a window, there is a taboo, just enough. And if it's strong enough, it will make you feel safe because you believe that someone would have to really disregard society in that way. So imagine that. You live right now in a society where a glass window keeps you safe even when you lock the front door at night your windows still make you feel safe well the people in that show the walking dead live in a place where those agreements don't exist and in fact they keep searching for fellow other people communities where they can recreate it you know they, they find places here and there where other humans have come together to put up walls and all of a sudden for a brief moment they feel safe but it's all, always brief you know they have to really work at it and then you have the scarcity and all of a sudden it turns out you know little by little the show happens to have uh, zombies it's about other groups that are now wanting to take away your stuff because there's not enough resources and you know the the whole scene with the bat if you ever seen the show I think that's where I stopped watching the show. That's, at that point, I'm like, all right, I think I had enough. But we live in a world where agreements keep you safe. And all of a sudden, you understand what civilization is at. As an individual, how am I contributing to that world? As a Toltec, and like you said, the word Toltec is a Nahuatl word that in English means artist. So when I say the Toltec tradition, I'm saying the artist tradition, in which case every society has Toltecs. That's what I mean. I am an artist, and the canvas for my work of art is my life. And the instruments I'm going to use to create that work of art is going to be my yes and my no, my body, my mind, this being that gives life to this organism that is my body and my mind, the tonal. So from that point of view, you have a moment of clarity. You have a moment of clarity that I am alive. Just by recognizing that I'm alive, I recognize that I am a single point of perception that sees life from a unique point of view. But more importantly, I'm the infinite possibility because I'm alive. I'm perfect only because I'm alive. The things that blind me from that are my beliefs. Am I worthy of love? Am I worthy to be a man? Am I worthy to be a woman? Am I worthy for this? Am I somebody? And all of a sudden you have all this structure that already existed. You know, you could call it conditioning. You can call it domestication. You can call it whatever uh, system that teaches you fear. Whatever you want to call it. It existed before we were born and it exists after we will die. You know, it, it's, it's one of the things that humanity has created. But 
the thing that humanity has created, this dream of the planet, society, civilization, culture, whatever, has its beautiful side as it has its dark side. It's the yin-yang being played live. Right now, as I just described to you, the horrors that happen in Querétaro, as well as what's happening in Ukraine, and whatever other households where uh, abuse might be existing. But at the same time, there's beautiful things that are happening in that city of Querétaro, where people took care of each other, where people stood up for one another. There are people in Ukraine that are standing up and helping each other out, as well as in Africa. There's homes where people really stand up for one another and they take it. It's the beautiful side. Both things are happening at the same time. The yin and yang is playing played life, streamed life, televised life, communicated life. That's the beautiful thing about it. So as an individual, you have a moment of clarity and you have a choice to continue the cycle or to break it. Now, from that point of view, it's not about unfollowing rules and not following rules. It's just becoming aware of how powerful my word is and how powerful an agreement is because the agreement that gives that glass window its power to keep me safe is simply an agreement. An agreement can keep you incredibly safe. It is the agreement we have with one another as a society where we have the agreement that we will respect each other's lives. I will respect your life. I will respect your humanity. Those agreements exist. Of course, there's also the conditions that someone has distorted that and says, no, your, your life is only worth if you do what I say. You know, you can only have citizenship if you assimilate to my culture and let go of yours. Wouldn't it be better if everyone assimilated to me instead of acculturating from that point of view? So at that moment, you're asking someone to reject where they come from in order to fit what you want the world to be. At that moment, conflict will arise. But from that point of view, you look at the power of an agreement, the power of the word. The word can create peace just as much as it can create hell or war. You know, And we see it. You know, that those beliefs that made those people basically push the other person to the brink of death simply for wearing the wrong jersey, you know, in, in gangs, in, in society, in cultures, in, in, in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's whether you put on a mask or not. All of a sudden, if you put on the mask, you stand against my beliefs or vice versa. And at that moment, it has nothing to do with health, but... My point of view and my side is correct and yours is not. So you look at that creation and you realize that at the very root of all that, there's a yes that gave power to a belief. And you have a moment of clarity, just like an alcoholic or drug addict. Hello, my name is so-and-so and I'm an addict. For example, it's easy for me to corrupt the four agreements and turn them into the four conditions. The four conditions is basically using the four agreements as an instrument of domestication, judging you for taking things personal, judging yourself for making assumptions, judging others and myself for those expectations. In that moment, we think we're practicing the four agreements, but we're not. We're practicing the four conditions. You can say that's where conditional love has corrupted unconditional love. And it's the way we corrupt all the beautiful traditions and religions around the world. I love you if you live up to my expectations. But if you have that moment of clarity that 
it only has power because I said yes to it. Then the best way to let go of conditional love is to forgive myself for ever saying yes to it, which comes with giving myself the permission to heal from it. Then I look in my life and I've, I look at how my beliefs have created disharmony in my life, have created that perfect hell in my life and making a choice to shift directions. In my case, you can say becoming aware that if I've been using the four conditions, then asking myself, then how do I practice the four agreements? And then remembering the word agreement is just the word that reflects the action of saying yes. And that's how I practice the four agreements, that in that moment of choice, I say yes to that agreement, not taking things personal, not making assumptions. The telltale sign that I use it as a condition to domesticate myself is judging myself for taking things personal and judging myself for the rest of it. If I become aware of that difference of what I'm saying yes to versus what I have to versus what I want to, then I can begin to undo. So in the total tradition, it's all about unlearning, unlearning that which no longer serves me. So to be, for example, to be the master of life, we're not talking about imposing my will over something or subjugating something or, or someone over my belief or myself. Is practice makes the master. Because once you begin to practice something, little by little, you gain confidence in yourself to be able to make the choice or to take the action. Which little by little, the more you practice it, it becomes confidence becomes trust. And I trust myself to make that choice. And little by little, confidence that came from that trust or vice versa turns into faith. I have complete faith that I know that I can do it because I've put into practice so many times that I know I can. So from that point of view, practice makes the master. I have that faith in myself to make that choice and apply it. Amazing. And the more I do it, I become better at it. Kind of like playing a violin or piano or going to kickboxing or learning to meditate or doing yoga. At first, you don't know what you're doing, but, but little by little, the more you gain that practice that becomes confidence and trust to the point where you have complete faith in yourself that, you know, imagine learning how to drive a car. When you first started learning how to drive, you 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 really, you know, we were really hesitant. We were riding the transmission or you know just choppy. Then we were we were comfortable driving around the city, but we wouldn't drive around the freeway. Then we got comfortable driving the freeway, and then we got comfortable driving conditions. I live in Reno now, so now I'm confident in myself to drive in snow. That took some practice, especially from a Southern California guy who learned how to drive in San Diego and Tijuana. Now I have the confidence to drive in snow. <laughs> Although, of course, I prefer it when I have all-wheel drive over two-wheel drive. <laughs> Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is my special guest, Guys Guys Radio. We're talking about his new book, The Master of Life. It seems like where one of the challenges the artist has is to live and be present. 
because yes. the past doesn't exist anymore. But so many of us carry around the weight of the past and it doesn't exist. Yes. I have found, yes. uh, actually, I interviewed, you probably know him, Dr. Joe Vitality. And I really got yes. involved with Ho'oponopono. And I started to do that on my own. Basically, I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you to all aspects yes. of my past. And it's mm -hmm. really, it's really, and even after interviewing 600 people, a lot of them thought leaders like yourself and spiritual teachers, it made a huge difference. And I'm sure there are yeah. other practices that are like that, but it's basically a way of dissolving the past, not in a way where we don't respect it, but the fact that it doesn't exist anymore and so. any weight from it that's holding us down is not doing us any good because we need to be present. Yes, I agree with that. Yes. And, and for me in my life, it like the thing I can add to that part is like, Forgiving myself for saying yes in the first place is a great thing that allows us to heal. So two things. A teacher once taught me this lesson in Sacramento, and I forgot the, the name of the gentleman who said it, but it's beautiful and I'm going to say it. Forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It is the moment you accept it and you let it go. I love it because it explains what forgiveness really is. It's the moment you realize you can't go back in the past and change a yes to a no or no to yes because the past doesn't exist, like you were saying. It only exists in my mind in the form of my memory, and it probably didn't happen the way I think it happened. So it's the moment I realize I can't change it, it's done. Thus, I no longer wished for it to be different. It happened. It's like you can call it acceptance. To let it go comes with a moment of this, like the analogy my brother has, Jose. He has this analogy of a scorpion that decides to no longer sting itself with its own tail, administering the poison it means for someone else to itself. So imagine that you being that scorpion that stung itself every time you thought about the past, you would sting yourself over and over and over again because you wanted to pay for it again. To let it go is to reach that moment where you will no longer use the past to hurt yourself in the present. And that's what forgiveness is. To no longer use the past to hurt me. To learn from it, of course, yes. But to forgive. And now here's the thing. In my life, you know, when I was writing the, the Seven Secrets of Happy, Healthy Relationships, I was able to contribute because I was able to heal a lot of my past relationships, including one with my first love and what allowed me to heal my relationship with my first love is knowing the difference between remorse and guilt and it goes like this guilt is punishing yourself for something you wanted to do and you'll do it over and over again meaning every time you think about it you judge yourself you punish yourself you sting yourself with that tail like a scorpion would do but here's the thing if life were, the were to give you the chance to do it again, you would still do it because that's what you wanted to do. And that's what guilt is. You're simply punishing yourself time and time again because of that moment in time. But you're really not moving the needle. You're not really making any changes because you would still do it because that's what you wanted to do. Remorse, on the other hand, is, remorse, on the other hand, is different. Remorse you can say is the moment I see the ripple effects of my actions through someone else's point of view. Meaning by that is seeing the humanity of the persons that my actions affected. 
and owning, I did that. I, I did that. And seeing how that happens, because it's kind of like the equivalent of listening to the person for the very first time. It's, you know, like if you have an issue with your first love, whatever, or an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, whatever, is the moment where you don't defend yourself. You simply listen. And in listening, you realize, I did do that. I did it. And you ask forgiveness, not as a boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, whatever, that's trying to hook up again. But from the point of view of someone that, oh, I did that to you. I own my actions and I apologize. But here's the thing. If life were to give me the chance to do it again, I wouldn't. Because the consequence is not worth the effort. What happened wasn't worth it. So that moment, it stops being something I wanted to do. And it's something that I realized that's not worth my actions. You know, life teaches us with the consequences of our actions. Consequence is not a punishment as people would associate it with. A consequence is the result of an action. You know, like for every action, there's a reaction of equal force, cause and effect type of thing. A consequence is just simply the result of a choice that was made through an action. That's, and that's the consequence. And that can teach us so much. So from this point of view, guilt is just something that I punish myself, but I never learned from my mistakes. I'm willing to repeat it over and over again. But remorse, on the other hand, is that thing that allows me to look at myself, look at my actions, look at how that impacted others. And realizing, I wouldn't want to make that choice now. That's, that's, you can say that's when we learned. That's when we learned from our mistakes. That's when we learn from our actions. And we choose to go in a different direction. And an apology from either point of view is different. An apology from guilt, it's, it, it, there, it's an, an apology just to end whatever argument we have. But it hasn't really changed anything. An apology from a point of view of remorse is, no, there's already a shift. There's a change. And the difference really is this. I own my actions. You know, it's kind of like Uncle Ben or now Aunt May telling Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. What's my power? My yes and my no, my will. Me. Responsibility is I am responsible for the consequences of my actions. I am responsible for my free will. Amazing. And from that point of view, you can, you can, from that point of view, you can see what gives power to the agreements that make society. What is last question? I know, I know this is a fantastic conversation, and you, uh, you're you're not only thorough, you are so articulate and such a great storyteller. I just love listening to you, as I'm sure my audience does also. So thank you, thank you, okay. thank you. Last question, because I know you're jamming. What can people do, all of our listeners out there and viewers, to, first step to get started in discovering themselves as who they are in perfection and not carrying around all this stuff that they carry around with them? I can answer that in so many ways, but the one that kind of resonates with me at the moment is... Give yourself the permission to heal. 
for example, if you're not ready to forgive, that's fine. You know, that's it's all about breaking the cycle of domestication anyway, which domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual, where if you live up to expectation, you're worthy of a reward. And that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment for not living up to expectation feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love is the way we learn conditional love. I love you if. From that point of view, we can see what we've created in life and realize what are the things that are not giving me permission to heal? Is it the image of what a man is what it is to be a man? What is it to be of this culture? What is it from being in this city? In the case of the soccer, what is it what does it mean to be wearing black and red or uh, blue and white? You know, what is it that is keeping me from seeing my own humanity, let alone the humanity of others? Because that's in my life. I've learned this lesson that we do heal with our own permission. And just like we heal the emotional body or the mind, we heal the physical body. You know, it's like the scab. Imagine you have a cut in your arm. If you give it some tender loving care, which is some effort, you clean up the wound and you let it go. You basically stand, out, stand back and give it time. And little by little, the body will give and create a scab that will slowly cover the whole wound. If you leave the scab alone, that scab will stay there until slowly starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller till it falls off, showing new skin with either a, a scar or not, but your body healed. That's giving your body permission to heal. You didn't stand in, in its way. You gave it a little bit of effort and time. Imagine somewhere along the line, the scab grows and you begin to scratch on it. Scratch, 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 scratch. And it bleeds again. And you say, see, I haven't healed. It's still bleeding. You didn't give your body permission to heal. Now imagine that metaphor with your emotional wounds, your emotional scars, not scars, but your emotional wounds that are still impacting you. If it's a scar, it means that somewhere along the line it healed and it just shaped into that way. A wound that still hurts, that's still making you defend it, protect it, or simply you draw anger from it or resentment or whatever emotion. What's keeping you from healing that? And that's where you will find your domestication. So give yourself the permission to heal. If you see that you're not giving yourself permission, that's exactly the hurdle that keeps you from healing. You know, I've, I've, I have the luxury of being able to talk to police officers, soldiers and firefighters, and even cholos and gangsters. The one thing that, that's in common between these people who are on both sides of the law is they don't want to look like the, be the weak link even when they have PTSD. They have post-traumatic stress disorder that's keeping that wound open or, or whatever trauma happened. But they don't want to look like the weak person in front of their crew or, or surrounding officers or whatever. They, they don't want people to see them as, I can't trust you. So they will hide because I can't be that weak link. Unfortunately, that wound is what's going to affect you. And that trauma will continue and expand. 
But if you give yourself the permission, like saying, I have PTSD and I choose to start my healing, that's when the whole world will change and for that individual, of course. So okay. if you look at it in your own life, not in those dramatic stance, and I'm thinking about the first responders and the other people who are experiencing trauma, is that in our life, you know, what is to be a man, what is to be a woman, what is to be this person in my family, in my culture, in my society, in my group of friends, what is it that's keeping us from giving ourselves that permission to heal? And right then and there, you'll find what your conditional love is, your domestication, your conditioning is. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Always a pleasure. I just love to sit back and listen to you and your teaching. And you're just amazing. Do uh, you want to say anything about the, the book or your website or any uh, seminars you have coming up? Well, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, my, my new Real book, quick. Mastery of Life, is available mm-hmm. is available in any bookstore, or you can just order it online and swallow about this. Uh, my, the webpage is miguelreese.com. That's my father's. It's the whole family is there. But I also have my own website, miguelreesejr.com. Okay. But uh, I just want to say, everyone, just enjoy life and enjoy being you. You know, all you need, all you really need to enjoy life is to enjoy your breath, to enjoy your presence, enjoy the people you, 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 you love and enjoy the time you have with them. And that really makes for a happy time. Okay. Thank you, Don Miguel Ruiz. Hope to see you again and keep doing the great work you're doing. Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what an amazing conversation with the one and only Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I so much enjoy listening to him because he's just a brilliant teacher. He is just terrific. The new book, again, The Mastery of Life, A Toltec Guide to Personal Freedom. What did we learn today? So much, but I think the biggest takeaway is the biggest obstacle we have in life that leads to so many of our problems, whether it be anger or jealousy or is, is fear. Fear is the enemy and fear, a lot of times it comes from the past. We carry around our past with us. And you know, although some circumstances from the past affect us in the current time, the bottom line is the only thing that really counts is right now. And anything we can do to transcend our fear and live a more joyful, life filled with gratitude, filled with wonder, is where we want to be. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. My podcast and YouTube and Rumble post worldwide every Thursday. The KCAA show rebroadcasts at 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. So there is no excuse for you not to be able to check out our show, whether it's the audio version on the podcast and KCAA, or it's the video version on YouTube and Rumble. We're everywhere, and I ask you one favor that won't cost you a cent, and that is please subscribe to our platforms. YouTube would be great, but anything you want to subscribe to based on where you consume your content would be super helpful. Guys, guys, radio, we're on just about every platform conceivable, so there's no way not to be able to access our show. 
and thank you very much. You can also catch me on my website, robertmannymanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts. They're all free. Everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, health, well-being, relationships, business, pleasure. I've covered it all and more. And also you can download three free chapters of my novel about advertising, which has been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. The name of the book is The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Dudes seem to like it because it gives them a reflection of how they roll. And the ladies seem to enjoy it because it gives them a peek behind the curtain into the weird world of modern men and their dating habits. So, guys, guys, guide to love. So, we've got a lot of great shows coming up over the next few months. I've booked a whole bunch of guests and I've got so many others lined up. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Until then, I want to thank all my guests. I've had amazing guests, over 600 interviews we've done here on the show. And again, lots more coming up. I want to thank my producer, Chris. And most of all, I want to thank you, my audience, my listeners, my viewers, for your support of my work because I'm here for you and I want to bring you interesting information that can help you live your best life. So Guys Guys Radio, we'll see you next week. Until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>